The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought, every wrinkle, every spot will be in view. Before the one who knows all things, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, you know the one you never knew. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Turn away from your sin and believe. On the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment That's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of his name. He has power over life and death. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. Heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father will you bow, will you to his majesty he can save you from the might of all your sin this is the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From yes. the judgment that's to come Yes From the coming storm While you have breath You have 
have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm He's the only shelter from the coming storm Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Do you have the courage to face your own heart? Do you have the courage to deal with what you will find in that heart? In most hearts, you will find abundant evil. You'll find arrogance and hardness of heart. Do you have the courage to face your own heart? I've been sharing with you about the Beatitudes. Matthew, the fifth chapter. They are the pathway into the heart of God, into the very heart of Jesus. The first step into the heart of Jesus is to recognize your absolute poverty. If you look at your own heart, you will see that poverty being manifest day by day in the choices you make, the way you treat people. There comes a time when we simply recognize we don't have any ability to change our hearts and become righteous, good, or holy people. That this is something Jesus must do in us. And as we come into that place of recognition of the true condition of our heart, as we face the the sexual immorality, as we face the drug addictions, as we face the love of money, as we face the bitterness and the anger and the hardness, the murderous rage of our hearts. The scriptures say we will begin to mourn. They will make us weep because suddenly we're seeing who we really are. But we want with all of our hearts to enter into Jesus And so he exposes these things to us. And we give them to him, and by the blood of Jesus, they are washed away. Then we come to the third beatitude. Blessed are the meek, or blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Whoa, now he's talking about inheritance. He's talking about permanence. 
Well, how did all of that happen? Well, none of that can happen in your heart. You cannot become meek or humble if you've not gone through this process of recognizing your absolute poverty and spending your time in weeping over your true condition. But when that work is finished, your heart is changed. You're a new person. You're not the same old person with the bitter rage and the and the speech that doesn't mean anything and you undercut everybody and you're there for you. No, all of that's gone. There's a story in scripture that I want to share with you. It talks about this issue. You remember King Saul? the way he treated King David, who was not a king yet, trying to kill him, trying to murder him, because people loved David and did not love King Saul. They saw through his wicked heart. They saw how absorbed he was with his own honor. They didn't like it. But David they loved. A humble man, an honest man. But he had some things to go through, some very painful things to go through before he could finally be said an honest man who is meek and humble. We pick the story up in Second Samuel chapter 15. Do you remember, I know you do, what David did in his sin with Bathsheba? He was the man. He could do what he wanted to do. His was the kingship. His was the authority. But he abused it terribly with Bathsheba as he took her to bed for himself against her husband, Uriah the Hittite, who was one of the 30 mighty men of David. The resulting judgment spoken by Nathan the prophet was that he would have difficulty with his sons. Now, many years later, Absalom has betrayed his father. I think there's nothing harder for a father than to to be betrayed by a son. Chapter 15 of 2 Samuel. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. And whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, What town are you from? Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. 
Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me, and I would see that he gets justice. Also, when anyone would approach him and bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Absalom behaved this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now we have a man who looks like a good man, but he has a a ravenous wolf nature. He has not been willing to look at his own heart. He's not been willing to look at his father's heart. His father should have simply exiled him or permanently exiled him, not temporarily, or he should have had him killed. That's how they did in that day. Absalom is a threat to the throne, so kill him. That's what King Saul would have done. That's what many kings have done. But David does not have the heart of a wolf. He has the heart of a lamb. He is a gentle-hearted man, a mighty warrior, but a gentle, humble, meek man. And he will not murder his son to secure for himself the power of the throne of Israel. At the end of four years, Absalom asked permission of the king to go to Hebron, where he could worship God to fulfill a vow. He was given permission to go. Actually, it wasn't to Hebron, but we won't go into that. Absalom sent secret messages throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. Two hundred men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went without knowing what Absalom was going to do. They knew nothing about the matter. Now, Absalom offered sacrifices, and he sent for Ahithophel. This was David's counselor. Now, what you need to know also is Ahithophel hates David with a passion because Bathsheba was his niece. It was his family that was hurt and destroyed by David's sin. So he gladly comes to the conspiracy. 
Then a messenger comes to David. The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. Now that's utter foolishness. David knew that was not true. But David did not want to fight Absalom in Jerusalem. He had no desire to kill Absalom. He had every reason to kill him. Now, please, I want you to see this. You may have every reason to cut somebody off. You may have every reason to be angry with somebody. You may have every reason to be very judgmental and undercut and even destroy a man or a woman. David would not do that. David was a man who was meek and humble. He was there to build, not to tear down. His heart was to build the beautiful temple to God. His heart was not to kill his son. It was not to destroy his enemies. He knew that if this progressed much further, many men would lose their lives. He did not want to see any more carnage in Israel. When you look in your heart, do you see violence? Do you see ambition? Do you see a desire to destroy your enemy and win over him? What is your heart telling you about yourself today? Is your heart weeping in the face of America and the wickedness that fills our streets and the violence that fills our nation? Do you have a meek and humble heart? Or do you have an Absalom heart that you'll say all the sweet things you need to say to whomever you need to say them to get the upper hand to try to take out your enemy who stands in your way? He wanted the kingship. (laughs) He wanted the kingship. And no matter what, he was going to get it. A messenger came to David and said, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. That was a propaganda lie. Okay, we need to get out of here. We need to flee or... 
we're going to be wiped out. Now, he's saying that in the face of these powerful Gittites and others, mighty men of God, mighty soldiers who could have wiped little baby Absalom out very quickly, as was demonstrated later. This Absalom was not a fighter. He was a wimp. He just had a wolf nature. But he didn't have the wolf strength. Thank God. I fear that many of you may also have a wolf nature. Fortunately, you don't have the power to destroy people like you might want to destroy them. But don't get in my way. Don't tell me what I ought to be doing. Just leave me alone. Is that your heart? One dear person who comes to the prayer chapel, I said to them, I know why you're coming to the prayer chapel. And this person smiled brightly and said, Why am I coming? Because you have a hunger in your heart for what is right. And they just smiled. Bingo. Do you have a desire in your heart for what is right? How far are you willing to take that desire to do what is right? How much action are you willing to put behind the desire to have righteousness in your heart? Well, the king sent some back, let some go with him. But I want you to look at verse 23, and this will tell you everything you need to know. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by the king. As the king also crossed the Kidron Valley. And all the people moved on toward the desert. This was not an action leaving Jerusalem that the people wanted him to take. They wanted him to remain as king and to destroy this young man who is bringing a threat against the kingdom of Israel. I love David for not just reaching out and swatting this young man like he would swat a horsefly. He was no more than a horsefly in power, in military strategy. David was the best of the best in military action. He had defeated countless numbers of mighty kings. This young man had accomplished nothing. Why is it that young men who have accomplished nothing always think they're so hot, so big, 
so powerful. Makes my heart hurt. Zadok was there, and the priests and the Levites, they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. (coughs) They all sat down, the Ark of God, and Abathur offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, I want you to notice this. Take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it again in his dwelling place. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I'm ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good. Whatever seems good to him. You see, this is right at the very root of a a meek and humble heart before God. You don't come with demands, expectations. You come with a humble heart before God. This is the third step that you must be willing to take as you enter into the heart of Jesus. You don't enter into the heart of Jesus with demands and with anger and with bitterness, with sin. No, all of that has been laid aside. You recognize what the Ark of God was. It was the physical symbol of the presence of God among them. The Shekinah glory dwelt Upon this ark. And David has come to a place in his life where he just says, If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place. In other words, if I have found favor, I'll be back. But if not, I don't want to be back. I want to be where I can please the Lord Jesus with all of my heart. Now, you know the story. He was brought back in triumph and in power, but with a proven meek and humble heart. Are you willing to take that position with Jesus today? Are you willing to say to him, this is my situation. It's very painful. If you want me to remain in this position, it's okay. I've shared occasionally, I'm entering into the third month of having a a shattered or broken hip. And I'm waiting on God. What do you mean you're waiting on God? If he's pleased with me, he will heal it. If he is not pleased with me, I will be a cripple the rest of my life. I want him to do in my situation according to what will please him. 
if Jesus is not pleased with me, then I don't want to walk across the earth as this man striding across in power and authority. I don't want that. I either want the the presence of Jesus. I want to see the evidence of his presence. Or I don't want to go on living. Jesus is everything. Some of you have these great agendas. You have these this bucket list of things you want to do, places you want to go. You have lists of things you want to accomplish, the houses you want to buy, the vacations you want to take, the money you want to make. Are you willing to say, if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bless me? But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then are you ready to let him do to you whatever seems good to him? Are you willing to lay aside your life? I am. I pray you are too. Because until you come to this meek or humble place, where you say, look, it's okay. I don't have to be there. I don't have to have that. I don't have to be considered by these people as somebody. I don't have to please anybody but Jesus. And if I please him, he'll heal me. He'll restore me. He'll wipe away my transgressions. Remember the message on Isaiah 51? Is it? Yes. Psalm 51. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Cleanse me with hyssop. Give me a a clean heart. What is it you're saying to God? Are you listening to this broadcast and others only so you can get more information about the gospel of Jesus? Or is this everything to you and you've laid your life down? I want to share this with you. Zadok and Abathur took the Ark of God at David's direction back to Jerusalem. And they stayed there so that they could be spies for King David. King David is a humble man and a meek man, but he's not a foolish man. He's covering his bases. He wants as little bloodshed as possible, but he at the same time is prepared to do what is necessary. Second Samuel 
chapter 15, verse 30. This says it all. This is the mighty King David, the destroyer of Samson. No, Goliath, the destroyer of Goliath. Then David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered, and he was barefoot. Those are all very clear, symbolic positions that the king is taking. His head is to be covered with the, with a crown, not with a, a rag of mourning. He's barefoot. He's supposed to be wearing shoes, but he's humbled himself. To remember, God told Moses, "Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground." Well, Mount of Olives is holy ground. Some number of years later, Jesus would likewise make his way up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went up. David is brokenhearted. There's no sign of pride, arrogance, hardness. There's no sign of I'm the man. Listen to me. Kill that man. There's none of that in his heart. A couple years ago, I had the opportunity to walk up in Israel. The Mount of Olives. And guess what? I did so weeping. The tears flowing down my face. All the people with him covered their heads too. And they were also weeping as they went up. Now, David had been told that Ahithophel was among the conspirators. And David prayed, O Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. He knows what he must do in his crying out to God to protect the nation. Ahithophel is not unbiased in this situation. He is filled with rage and bitterness. Nothing would please him more than to see David struck down and killed, murdered. Now as he is making his way, A man came from the clan of Saul's family. His name was Shimei. And all the king's officials 
he begins to pelt them with stones and dirt. All the troops, the special guard, they were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shimei said, Get out! Get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel! The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. Now you have come to ruin, because you are a man of blood. (laughs) Two of his powerful guards said, Should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. But the king said, What do I have in common with you? If he's cursing because the Lord said to him, Curse David, then who can ask, Why do you why do you do this? Leave him alone. Let him curse. If that's what the Lord's told him to do, let him alone. It may be that the Lord will see my disaster and repay me with good for the cursing I'm receiving today. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went, throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted. Meanwhile, Absalom has swept into Jerusalem. Ahithophel gives his wisdom, which was militarily right, but it was countered by Hushai. When Ahithophel saw that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, set out for his house and his hometown. He put his house in order, and then he hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. As the setup began to unfold, he said to the men, to Joab, Abashi, Ida, be gentle with a young man. Be gentle with the young man. Absalom, for my sake, not for Absalom's sake. Absalom was a raving wolf cub. But David did not want to kill him. All the troops heard the king giving the orders concerning Absalom. Each of the commanders, 
the army marched into the field to fight Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. The army of Israel was defeated by David's men, and the casualties that day were great. 20,000 men. The battle spread out over the whole countryside, and the forest claimed more lives that day than the sword. In other words, the Lord was fighting against Absalom and the wicked men who followed him. Absalom happened, quote unquote, to meet David's men. He was riding his mule, and as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's heart, his head, got caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair, while the mule he was riding kept on going. When one of the men saw that, he went to Joab. He said, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. And Joab said to the man who told him, What? You saw him? Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? Then I would have given you ten shekels of silver and a warrior's belt. But the man replied, Even if a thousand shekels were weighed out into my hands, I would not lift my hand against the king's king's son. In our hearing, the king commanded you and Abashi, protect the young man, Absalom, for my sake. And if I had put my life in jeopardy, and nothing is hidden from the king, you would have kept your distance from me. Joab said, I'm not going to wait like you. He took three javelins in his hand and plunged them into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. And the trumpet was sounded and the war was over. And it's moving. You might want to go and read it. The next chapters as he is restored to Jerusalem as the king. This story impacts my heart greatly. Do you have a wolf nature? Or do you have a lamb nature? Are you given to rage and anger? Are you given to ambition? Do you undercut others with wicked words of of gossip and judgment? Do you judge another man? and cut him off and say, I'm better than he is. What is the condition of your heart? 
Is it meek and humble before a mighty God because you have finally been willing to look honestly at your own heart? You've been willing to look at how utterly poor you are? Have you mourned over your wickedness as David did after Bathsheba? What is the condition of your heart? Are you willing to pay the price to be a part of a house church? A place where you will be held accountable, a place where you will be asked hard questions. I invite you today, if you're in the Washington metro area, to come to the National Prayer Chapel. We're not big, we're not impressive, we're not anybody. Oh, but we're after Jesus. And we want humble and meek hearts. We don't want wolf natures. We're not on the prowl to build some great church. We're out to humble our our hearts before a mighty God and let him give us new hearts washed and cleansed, made clean by the blood. The prayer of our heart is, Oh God! Oh God! Shelter us under the precious blood of Jesus shed on Calvary. Is that your heart cry? Then let's pray. Lord, I rejoice today. I rejoice that you are my Savior and my Lord. I rejoice that you have washed me in your blood. That you have shown my that you have shown me my absolute poverty of spirit that I can't make myself righteous, but you, by your gift of grace, by your gift of blood, you can make me righteous and innocent before you. And I thank you for that gift, Jesus. I come today with no claim Accept the claim of the blood of Jesus Christ. I come with no specialness. I'm not special. My Jesus is special. I come today and ask for the gift of that humble heart. I come today asking to be made meek before my brothers and sisters. I come asking for the fullness of your grace. Thank you, Jesus. I come today also asking, Lord, 
for each person who listened to this broadcast today. For if Jesus, they honestly listened, then they have some very real choices that they must make about how they live. And they must face honestly the true condition of their hearts. Are they like King Saul? Are they like Absalom? Are they like David? (laughs) And are they like you, Jesus? Mighty God of heaven, would you be pouring out now your spirit upon everyone who listens to this broadcast? Would you take from every person who has the courage to listen, would you take from them all arrogance, all bitterness, all anger, all judgment? Would you bring them into your presence? Would you make them your children? Thank you, Lord. Glory, glory, glory to the name of Jesus. Glory, glory, glory to the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I'd love to hear from you. You can write to me, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I have a special thank you today. He's one of the most unusual givers to the work of Jesus that I have met. Rodney. Brother, if I could meet you, I'd put my arms around you and hug you. You just continue to be there sacrificially, day after day. And you put a smile on my face and you encourage me because of your faithfulness. So Rodney, God bless you. I hope to meet you one day. And... If any of you are in the Washington metro area and you like what you're hearing in these messages and you want more of Jesus, but you want it straight, unvarnished, honest, then I invite you to come this coming Sunday to the National Prayer Chapel. We're just a small house church. Informal, but not insincere. We're serious. 
were pursuing Jesus. You're welcome to come. I tell people the first time you come, you'll be a visitor. The second time you come, you're family. So I'm welcoming you to come. I also wanted to let you know, I'm sorry, when I fell and broke my leg, the Lord said, turn your cell phone off, put it away. So that's what I've done. So if you've tried to reach me via cell phone, you've not been able to. Also, he had me totally turn off the internet, except when I come to do this broadcast. He wants my focus entirely on Jesus. And it is. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'd love to meet you. Please pray for me. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy.